Good morning, everybody. I can honestly say, in my opinion only, what a wonderful day this is. Weather is great. You can have ice cubes outside. Great. Title of this is Revelation Church's Foundation. Okay, it doesn't mean anything. I had to come up with a title. What we are going to do to give you a quick synopsis, we are going to look at Revelation 1 and how it is important to understand Revelation 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3. This is the foundation for us to understand. Question you have to ask yourself about Revelation. Who was it written to? What was it written for? Who told John to write it? What is the whole thing of Revelation about? Do you realize that Revelation was not written to us? No. Who was it written to? What was it written for? Let's go to Revelation 1.1. This is where we are going to start, and it's going to answer some of the questions we have. Who, why, when, what is the reason? It starts off with, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Right there, those first few words is telling us, this is from the Father. It was given to his son who gave it to John. And what is it about? Things which must surely take place. With that one little sentence, we are told a whole lot. This is from the father who gave it to his son, who gave it to John, who is to tell us about what is to come. There are things which must surely take place, and he sent and signified or signified it by his angel to his servant John. So this entire message was given to John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So it's saying this is what John saw. Bless, now this is what we're after. We want a blessing? Okay, here it is. Bless is he who reads. That's the first thing you have to do is read and those who hear. So we need to read it and we also need to hear it. The words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. Three conditions. If you want a blessing, and who is talking? This is the Father who is revealing through Jesus, through John, to us about a blessing that we can have. And of course, we want a blessing from the Father. And how do you get it? You have to read. Read what? Well, we're talking about Revelation right now. We have to read Revelation. We have to hear. That means to understand. And not only that, but you have to keep what is said. For the time is near. The Father just said the time is near. We're saying hold it. This was written 2,000 years ago. What do you mean the time is near? Well, the time is near due to two things. One is either our death, because once when our death occurs, that's it. We're done. The time has happened, or when Jesus returns. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches. Now we know who, is, who this letter or book because actually it's called a book, which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from who? Him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits 
who are before His throne and from Jesus Christ. We are just told, given a quick synopsis of what the Father wants and is expecting. Because this is about the Father, what He is telling us. The Father is saying, I am going to reveal what is about to happen. John tells us that this book is written for the seven churches that is in Asia. It is not written for the world. And in reality, it was not written for us. Because he tells us exactly who it was written for. The seven churches. We are blessed that God allows us to read what was for them. And through that, we can have understanding and have the blessings. It talks about the seven spirits that was before the throne. What are the seven spirits? Because we can go to Revelation 4, 5. This will give us a definition of what the seven spirits that was before the throne. That's in verse 4 of Genesis 1, 4. It says, and from the seven spirits. Well, in Revelation 4, 5, it says, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Well, we will be told what those seven lamps are a little further on, but also if we go to Revelation 5, 6, it says this, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, which of course is Jesus, he's referred to as a lamb, having seven horns, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So what are the seven spirits? Well, it says that in Revelation 4, 5, that it's the seven lamps. And then down here, it's talking about the seven horns and eyes of the lamb. So what is the seven spirits? I'll let you decide that because I'm not going to make the decision. It's for however you want to interpret it. But it is what God has talked about, the seven spirits which was before his throne. Now back to Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loves us. This is talking about Jesus and how he feels and what he has done for us. Who loves us, that's number one, he loves us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Jesus is telling us exactly how he feels about us and what he was willing to do for us. Verse 6, And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. Now right there, depending on what translation you use, however you want to believe, it can be translated kings and priests, or it can be translated kingdom of priests. However you want to translate it is fine. Translate it however you want. Here's what's important about it. What's important is, and has made us to do what? To His God and Father. We are made Kingdom of priests, kings and priests, whatever you want, for the Father. That's the important part. We are being created for the Father. Doesn't matter if you want kingdoms of priests or whatever, it's because we will be presented 
before the Father, and that's the important part of it. To Him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him. So now we know this is Jesus still talking, and about Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him, even so, Amen. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus just told us about Himself and how He feels about us. The Father previously, before that, told us about what He wants us to know and understand. Those are two characters so far in this book of Revelation. Now we come up to the third. Verse 9, we come to the third person of this. I, John. Now we know who is talking. John. The Father told us about Himself. Jesus told us about Himself. And now John is telling us. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now we know where John is and something about him. He is our brother and companion and he's going through tribulations same as we are going through trials and tribulations, he can relate to what we go through and we can relate to some of what he has gone, has gone through. He's our brother. Patmos, that's where he's stuck at. Why? Because of the Word of God. He was willing to preach the Word of God no matter what, and he was thrown on the island of Patmos. Patmos is part of Greece. Today, modern day Greece, they own this island. For the past 3,000 years, the island has been inhabited. People used to go there. They were living on it until Rome took over the island. When Rome conquered the world, the known world, they took over Patmos and turned it into a penal colony. The inhabitants were leaving because they didn't want to live under that type of condition. And it was turned into a penal colony. And who was sent there? Enemies of the state, dissidents, and those that disagreed with Caesar. Including those that were in the Senate. There were senators and governors sent to Patmos because it was a political place that you sent your enemies to. John was sent there because he was proclaiming the testimony of Jesus. He went to a penal colony. And through that, he was given this revelation that he was to send to the seven churches of Asia. Verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Okay, this verse has a lot in it. Number one, it says, in the Spirit. Now we understand what that means. He's having a vision. He is having something where God is showing him something in the future, something that God wants him to understand. Was he still on the island of Patmos or whatever? Who knows? I don't. All we know is he had a vision that God gave him, and he is going to tell us that vision. But he also gave us something else. He told us it was on the Lord's day. What does that mean? Now, according to the world, 
That's Sunday. That is the day that Jesus was resurrected. That's what they believe. Now, the Lord's Day is written or mentioned only once. John says it's on the Lord's Day. So it meant something to John, and since he is writing to the seven churches, it means something to the seven churches. Now, there are some. I'm going over theories. First theory, Sunday, when Jesus rose. Okay? Second theory is it was mistranslated. What he actually meant to say and what he was meaning to say is that it was on the day of the Lord. He was transported in the future to the day of the Lord. That's another theory. What people want to believe, that's fine. Believe what you want. There's a third theory. Here's the next one. What happens if the translation was wrong? Here's what we have to ask ourselves. Where was this book sent to? It was sent to people that knew exactly what he meant. Who was to read this book? Followers of Jesus. Followers of the Father. Who was the book? Who was to understand what was written in this book? Followers of Jesus. This book was sent to followers of Jesus, and where were they living? What was the conditions that they were living under? They were an occupied country. Rome occupied them. They were living under the culture, the influence, the beliefs, the customs, the religion of Rome. Rome went into that country and people started to turn basically into Romans. They had to live under the Roman authority. So that means whatever the culture of Rome is, they were living under and they understood it. Because they were living it. They grew up in it. I mean, this place has been ran by Rome for hundreds of years. They understood what Rome was about. And they were, they were basically Romans. Now, here's the question we have to ask. These people knew exactly what it meant when it said Lord or the Lord's Day. Now, let me ask you this question. What happens... If there was a mistake made, instead of it being capital L, capital D, Lord, Lord's Day, what happens if it was supposed to be a little, small L, and a small D? Would that change the entire meaning of what this day was? Instead of being capital, which means it's God's day, what happens if it's a little L and a little D? Then does that mean that it's not from heaven? That it's not God's day? If that's the question, or if that's the answer, then what's, what does it all mean? Well, like I said, 2,000 years ago, Asia Minor, where these seven churches were, was occupied, ruled, and the authority was Rome. Now, what happens? Now, here's one of the beliefs. Here is a belief. You have to go back to that time period. The religion of Caesar was huge. They worshipped Caesar. They had temples for Caesar. Caesar was their Lord and God. What happens? And this is something else that we have to understand. The believers of Jesus, 
had to be willing so that they would not be thrown in prison, would not be put to death, would not be ostracized, or would not be crucified. They would have to be willing and had to say that Caesar is Lord and God. They didn't have a choice. Now, if you don't want to go to prison, if you don't want to have death, if you don't want to be crucified, you had to say that Caesar was Lord and God. Now, here's the question to ask yourself. This, if it's a little D, a little L and a little D, was because remember this, these people knew exactly what John meant when he said Lord's Day. They knew instantly. Otherwise, why would he say it? Why did he pick to say on this day it was the Lord's day? You have to ask yourself, why did, the, why did John specifically identify when he went into the Spirit, into this vision? Why did he identify the day? Well, now, now ask yourself this. If it's a little d or a little l and a little d for Lord's day, could it not be representative of either the birthday or the inaugurational day of when Caesar went from being a human to being an immortal, to being a god? That we know when the President of the United States, if you said on the day of the inauguration of the president, we would know instantly. If you say Thanksgiving, you know instantly. Christmas, instantly what day it is. This was a day these people knew. Now, was it a day, that the inaugurational day of when Caesar went from being a human to being a god? Going from being a man to being a God? Or was it a day, one day a year, when everybody had to proclaim that Caesar was Lord? This would be a day that everyone would have to proclaim. Now everyone in the culture... Everyone that was conquered on this day had to proclaim to the authorities that Caesar is God. Would that be called the Lord's Day of Caesar? Also, ask yourself this. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now, was John just now saying that the Lord's day or the true Lord is not Caesar, but the Lord that we are worshiping in heaven is the real Lord of this world? I don't know. We don't know. I gave you three theories, but here's one thing we do know. These people at these seven churches, they knew instantly what John was talking about. They had no doubt in their mind. Okay, back to Revelation 1.10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see right in a book. John was just told exactly who was talking to him. Jesus. And he was given a command. What you see write in a book and send it to the seven churches which is in Asia. And then he identifies the seven churches. The, the Ephesus, the Samarina, to Pergamos, to um, Tyatera, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. This is who is to get the book. 
that John is to write. And he was commanded by Jesus to write this book and to send it to these seven churches. Now, when, St. John, or when Jesus says to write something, that is a commandment. If he says to do it, he's commanding us to do it. And he's commanding us to, or he commanded John where to send the book. Now, John has a mission the minute that Jesus said, write what you see. John was given a mission, a mission of observe, remember, understand to the best he could, record and distribute to the seven churches. That was his mission the minute Jesus said, write what you see. Now, we're going to read seven verses. These next seven verses, 12 through 18, these are not fluff verses. These are very important, and these are so important that they are incorporated into the seven churches because Jesus is identifying himself and showing a part of himself of how he will correct the churches. From starting in verse 12. Then I, or then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like snow, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now, did you recognize any of what we just read? Here's what we're going to do. Here is how important those seven verses were. In, Gen or in Revelation 2, starting in verse 1, it says, <clears throat> To Ephesus write, To these things he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden light lampstands, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. We just got a reference back to Revelation 1 verses 12, which is the lampstands, and 16, which is the seven stars. Those seven verses is being referenced, part of them, to each of the churches. To Samaria. These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Verse 17, first and last, 18, lives and was dead. Pergamos. These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. That's verse 16 in Revelation 1. Um, Tyatira. These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Verses 14, eyes like flame of fire and 15, feet of brass. Sardis. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's verse 16, it's the seven stars. And verse 5 is the seven spirits. Philadelphia says, write these things, says he who is holy, who, um, he who is true, who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. 
The key of David is verse 18, being referenced to Philadelphia. And in Laodicea, these things, these things says the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Or, or the beginning of the creation of God. This is verse 13. He is saying, I am the Son of Man to this church. He gave a small part of who He is to each church because it is what they needed for that church. A double-edged sword. That was for a reason. Went to Pergamum. For a reason. Verse 19. Write. This is the second time John is told to write. If you're told twice, that means something. That means you best do it. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. This is what he's to write, or what he was told to write. And now we have a revelation. This is the whole crux of the first chapter. This is actually an introduction to the churches. When you write greetings to somebody, this is what chapter 1 of Revelation is, is an introduction to the churches. And this is the whole crux of it. Verse 20, the mystery, because we have a mystery. One of them was the seven spirits. Doesn't talk about that. I told about that earlier, which I gave you two verses, which you decide what they are. That's up to you. I'm not going to tell you what they are. You get to decide it. But this is the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. That's what we talked about in the very beginning. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. He just told us what the seven stars are. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Well, now the seven lampstands, which are the seven churches, that's pretty easy to decipher. Each lampstand represented one of those seven churches. Now, ask yourself this question. Is there a lampstand in front of the throne of God that says, Tomorrow's Church of God? If there is, which I want to say there is, then do we need to take heed about what we are about to read? That's seven lampstands. Now let's go to the seven stars. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, we, <clears throat> now the seven stars, that means there's one star for each church. Or, I'm... Um, and seven stars, we're told, are the seven angels of the seven churches. So there is an angel for each church. Seven angels, seven churches, each one has one angel. What are angels? This is the crux. What are angels? Angels are a messenger of God. And Strong's. Definition, it's G71 and then also G34. It means to bring tidings, a messenger. Uh, it says, a messenger, essentially an angel, by implication, a pastor, a minister, a bishop, a leader. An angel is a messenger. It means a messenger, an envoy, one who is sent. A messenger with a message or a message from God. 
Let's go to Revelation 22.6. Keep a finger back where you're at because we're headed back to Revelation 2 here real quickly. It says, Then He said to me, Jesus said to John, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show His servant the things which must shortly take place. John was just called an angel, a messenger of what is to take place. In um, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. I, Jesus, now we know exactly who is speaking. Jesus has sent his angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Twice John was called an angel, a messenger. This is important. Why? Back to Revelation 2. 2.1, right? Or it says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? Verse 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos, right? Verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? And it goes the same way through every seven churches. It says, to the angel of the church in whichever city. It did not say to the church right. Oh no. What is, a, <clears throat> what is an angel? An angel is a messenger from God. An angel is someone that is proclaiming God's message. When I say that, an angel is the leader, the shepherd, the bishop, the elder, the minister, the host, the messenger of the church. Who was this book written to? It was written to the leaders of each of these seven churches. When it says, to the angel, that means leader of the church of Ephesus, Pergama, whichever church. This book of Revelation was written to each of those leaders. Let's get an application of what this all means. We have to understand. Remember, this is an introduction to the churches, but not to just the churches, but to the leader of the church. Here's how we're going to look at this. Let's go to Revelation 2.12. A couple weeks ago, we had a sermon about Pergamos. Here... And it wasn't given correctly. Thought it was, but it wasn't. Let's read exactly what it says. This is Revelation 2.12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos. Let's exactly read. Let's put this in everyday language. To the minister of the church in Pergamos. It, when it says to thee, that means one angel. To the leader of Pergama. Same thing as if it's Ephesus, if it's Laodicea. This is written to the leader. If he's the minister, if he's the bishop, if he is whatever he is called. Shepherds, what I like to think of, in charge of a flock. To the leader of the church in Pergama, write. John was told, write this about this man that's in charge of God's church. 
These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. We read those seven verses and this is part of the identity of God, of Jesus. He has a sharp two-edged sword. Now why is he using a sword for Pergamum to identify himself? We'll find out a little later, but let's go to verse 13. I, this is Jesus, know your works. This letter is to the minister, the shepherd, and Jesus just says, I know your works, shepherd, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and shepherd, you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Jesus dwells. These... Oh, oh, man, I am so sorry. Wow. If that's not a 180, I don't know what is. Sorry about that. Yes, it says Satan. Man, that was the human in me that came out. The part that I don't want in me. Where Satan dwells. These are the works which the shepherd has been described about himself. This is how God sees the shepherd. To me, it sounds pretty good. If I would want God to say, yes, I know your works. And that I hold fast to your name. Sounds real good. Even in times of trouble. If I was a pastor, that's what I would like to hear. It sounds pretty good. Now, we are going to look at what the pastor allows to happen with his flock. What happened in that church. Because remember, this letter is to the pastor. And this is what the pastor, the shepherd... Allowed to happen. Verse 14. But I have a few things against you. Not the church. You. It didn't say I have a few things against Pergama. No. It says I have a few things against you, shepherd. Because. Why? You, shepherd. You have these or you have there those whole who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a, blunt, a stumbling block before the children of, of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. What did this shepherd allow to happen to God's flock? Those that God called out from the world that said, yes, I want to obey God. And this shepherd was put in charge of them. What did he allow to happen to that flock? He allowed the doctrine of Balaam to enter that flock. Who taught Balak? This is what the shepherd is allowing to happen in his, what he has control over, which God blessed him with. God blessed this shepherd with this flock, and this is what he is allowing to happen to God's people. 15. Thus you also, also, not, that's not bad enough, also, have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which things I hate. This shepherd is allowing stuff, filth, into the congregation that God hates. This is what the shepherd is allowing. And God is telling the shepherd, this 
is what's happening. What this is, is a report card, a progress report of how the shepherd is taking care of God's flock. What the shepherd has to do to fix this problem, a problem has been identified by God. Now, if I'm that shepherd, I'm the, oh God, what do I do to correct this problem? I don't want this. Maybe I didn't see it. I am someone that just did not see it happening, or I knew it was happening, but I didn't want to confront it, whatever the problem. How do I fix it? God says how to fix it with one word. Verse 16, repent. What does it mean to repent? It means you have a problem that goes contrary to God. Get rid of that problem. That's how you repent. We have sin in our lives. We ask for repentance. How do we repent? We get sin out of our lives. Get this sin out of the flock. That's what God just told him to do. Get the filth out. Or else, if you don't, or else I will come to you. It says you. It doesn't say I will come to the church. I will come to you. Quickly. And will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Why do you think God identified himself as a two-edged sword? Right here because I, God says, will use this two-edged sword against you. If you don't get the filth out. This shepherd is being held accountable for what he allowed to happen in his flock. 17. He who has an ear, that's us. We are blessed. God blessed us that we can read this book that was sent to the seven churches, that we can understand, that we can take to heart. We are reading a book sent to, a, to seven churches, and we are allowed. Same as with the letters that Paul wrote, that Peter wrote, John wrote. We are allowed to read their letters. Luke, everything, the book of Luke and Acts, Luke wrote Acts, was both of those were sent to one man, Theolopatus, I think is how you pronounce his name. And we have the privilege of reading what Luke sent to that man, same as right here, we have the privilege of reading what was sent to these seven churches. It says, he who has a, an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All seven churches. We get to understand and see the mistakes they made and what they did good. To him who overcomes to get the sin out of our lives. I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. The shepherd was just told what he was doing right. He was obeying God. He was doing in his own personal life what he should be doing. But he was also told what he was allowing that was wrong to enter and to prosper in his 
flock. He was also told how to correct the problem that entered his flock and what would happen to him and those if the problem was not corrected. You realize God did not tell him how to correct it. All he said was, correct it. Repent. God gave that shepherd the opportunity for those that were going astray to come back, to change. Or however that shepherd deemed what he had to do. He was told what would happen if he did not correct the problem. God was going to come quickly with a two-edged sword. And the reward of what happens if he corrected the problem. Now, this does not take the congregation off the hook whatsoever because this book was read to the congregation because there's a lot more to the book of Revelation than just about the shepherd. All we're looking at is the first three books today. Well, I mean, we're skimming one of them. But the whole thing is the congregation is still hold responsible. We do not get into the first resurrection on the coattails of our shepherd, on the coattails of someone else. We get into the first resurrection on our, by ourselves with the Holy Spirit, and hopefully we do get help, encouragement, correction from the shepherd and those in the flock. The whole gist of this is... Shepherds are held accountable for what happens to their flock. The flock is held accountable for what they allow, what they accept, and what they decide or determine how they want to obey God. Ask yourself this question. If you got a message from God identifying you as he did these shepherds, what would God say about you?